Letter twenty eight of A Lady's Life on a Farm in Manitoba by Mrs. Cecil B. Hall. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Ure, August twenty fourth. It is not easy to sit down and write after forty eight hours travelling, as we have been doing since leaving Denver on Monday night at seven o'clock, but in such scenery and air so exhilarating we do not feel as tired as we expected. You should have seen the omnibus, stagecoach, Cheridan, or any other name as you please to give the lumbering vehicle, in which we performed our last twelve hours' drive. It looked truly frightening when it drove up to Cimarron Depot, one tent last night, to pick us up, intended for twenty passengers and any amount of luggage, and swung on great straps. It was wonderfully well horsed, and we changed our teams every ten miles, but only then came at the rate of five miles an hour. We both of us started for our sixty-four miles drive on the box-seat with the driver, who happened to be an extremely nice man and an experienced whip. In former days he had driven the stage-coaches across from Omaha to San Francisco, a journey of three weeks. But he took up much room on the seat, and every time he had to pull up his horses his left elbow ran into me, until he guessed my ribs would be pretty well bruised. At about midnight, when our only other fellow-passenger turned out from the inside of the coach, I entered it, though I expected nearly every moment would be my last, the bumping was so fearful. I managed to get a few winks of sleep towards morning. E. sat outside all night, finding it very difficult not to drop off the coach from drowsiness. The early hours of the morning, after the moon went down until dawn, were truly wretched, what between the outer darkness, the flickering of our lamps, the unevenness of the road, and the clouds of dust, and one almost began to wonder if the journey was worth so much trouble. But with daylight we quite altered our opinions, as really I do not think, if you searched the whole world over, you would find anything more beautiful than the Uncompagra Valley and Park looked in the morning light. Mr. W. met us at five o'clock a.m. at the hot springs, so-called from the boiling water that gushes out of the ground, and which is said to give the name of Umcompahagra to the district, that being the Indian word for hot water. He brought us out hot coffee and food to refresh us, and drove us the last nine miles up the valley. We came slowly, thoroughly enjoying the scenery. On either side of the road are well-cultivated farms. Within two miles of Ore the park narrows into a magnificent gorge, bounded on each side by precipitous cliffs of red sandstone, covered with pines and quaking aspen, the whole crowned by arid peaks. From this gorge you suddenly come upon the town, situated in an amphitheatre of grand grey trachyte rocks. Our house is in Main Street. The ground floor is an office, our four rooms are on the first floor, to which we ascend by a wooden staircase outside. Every nook and corner is filled with some curiosity or mineral specimen. Our host, being a great sportsman, there are various trophies of the chase, a mountain lion, wild sheep's heads, bears, cranes, even to a stuffed donkey's head. There are also cabinets of fossils, specimens of ore, etc., and great blocks of the same piled on the floor. Our family consists of our two hosts, Messrs. W. and B., two Indian ponies, a mule, two setters, two prairie dogs, which are reddish-buff marmots. We are only to remain here one night, and if thoroughly rested after our journey, go up to the log cabin in the Imogen Basin, three thousand feet higher. We are both looking forward to it immensely. It is right in the heart of the mountains, 
10,600 feet, and with no one near us, as all the mines surrounding the cabin belong to a company which had to suspend its works last month for want of funds, so that they are not being worked. The air is glorious, and we feel already perfectly restored to our usual health, though we are warned that strangers cannot walk much at first, the air is so rarefied, that one is soon out of breath. Anyhow, the atmosphere has been so clear that it much added to our enjoyment in seeing the ever-varying beauties and distant mountain view all along our journey from Denver to here. We unfortunately came through the Grand Canyon at night. Had it been clear, the porter on the car was to awake us to see it. We could quite picture to ourselves its beauty by the scenery in the Black Canyon we came through yesterday by daylight. The engineering all along the line is marvelous. The way we rose nearly seven thousand feet by a zigzag over the Marshall Pass, or the Great Divide, going down nearly as many feet on the other side, and then through these canyons, which are only narrow gorges for a raging torrent to rush through on its headlong career. Our train was a very narrow gauge with bogey wheels, and we twisted so, in and out of the bends of the river, that the engine often looked as if it might easily come into contact with our carriage, which happened to be the last. It is the great advantage of the Pullmans, they are always on last to the train when passing through any pretty country, and when there are no other carriages of the same, so that one can sit on the rear platform and see all the scenery. We entered into conversation with two Germans, and were amused by one of them surreptitiously bringing us two pink trout from his luncheon at the wayside hotel, we having remained in the carriage for our frugal meal, and though we had got to the sweet stage, felt hound to begin again, and much enjoyed our fish. The food provided at these wayside inns is generally so bad and dear, a dollar a head charged for sixteen to eighteen dishes, of almost uneatable messes, that we prefer the tinned meats and fruits we have in our luncheon basket, and for drinks we have beautifully iced water in all the carriages, the ice being replenished at every big station. The last forty miles of our railroad journey was over a line only opened ten days ago, by which, I am thankful to say, we avoided twelve hours more of the stagecoach and a night in a Colorado inn, which, we are told, is anything but pleasant there always being many more bedfellows than what one bargains for, and we should have not seen the Black Canyon and its thirteen miles of grandeur and sublimity. The railroad track is cut out of the sides of the overhanging rocks, and in places is built on a bed of stones in the creek itself. The rocks at times almost seem to meet overhead, then widened, we crossing and recrossing the torrent by wooden bridges, which shortly are to be replaced by iron ones. The coloring was so beautiful, the chasm being generally in shade with the mountains above standing out in glorious sunshine, covered as they were in many places, even as far down as the water's edge, with pines. Nature is marvelous in its productions, but the ingenuity of man is also wonderful, and we quite came to the conclusion that the scenery of that canyon was worth coming all these thousands of miles to see. End of Letter 28 Read by Sibella Denton. All LibriVox files are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org.